Hello, everybody. This is Editing IMA from the future. Uh, I just want to point out that I'm going to talk about some technical technological issues I've been having, but um, I was using a different microphone this week, and it unplugged right in the middle of the podcast, and so you're going to notice the audio kind of abruptly changing in quality. Uh, please don't give up on me. <laughs> it does get better. I plug the microphone back in, but I just want to forewarning you that when you notice that change in quality, I'm giving you an explanation as to why. It's not you. It, it was never you. It's me. It's a me thing. So I'm very sorry about that. Uh, I hope that you can overlook that little technological vicissitude and enjoy the episode regardless. So here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Uncommon Sense. This is a podcast about... I'm going to have Jerry tell you what it's about. Jerry, tell him what it's about, Jerry. Uh, hold on. Let's see if I remember this. Okay, go ahead. This is a podcast where we talk about our American heritage Ooh. in a hopefully funny uh-huh. and usually irreverent way. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so proud. Wow. Look at him go. Everybody give him a round of applause. Give Jerry a round of applause. Hold for applause. Okay, that's enough Thank applause. You. Thank you. You're too All kind. right. Everybody tuning in. Hi, my name is Aime. I am your co-host, and I once had a lemonade with a bug in it. Uh, my name is Jerry, and I've recently helped Zagreus escape the underworld. All right, beautiful. If you want to find out if we're lying or telling the truth, you will have to wait the entire podcast to find out at the end where we reveal all of our secrets. No skipping ahead allowed. It's illegal, and we are watching. Right, Jerry? Yes. (laughs) Okay. I feel like, so, first of all, I want to get a few little rudimentary technological things out of the way. Um, The audio has been bad, and I am aware. Fortunately, we don't have uh, an enormous committed listener base. I don't have thousands of people or anything complaining about how bad the audio is. But if anybody is listening, I just want to say I am aware. I try something because we're doing it remotely and we don't have JT doing our audio stuff. um, It's difficult for me (laughs) to figure out how to optimize the remote situation. So every week I'm trying something different. And um, this week I'm crossing my fingers and hoping that this works out. So... If my plan goes ideally, then I should sound better this week. But if not, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I am but a technologically inept curmudgeon, and I'm trying my best. Also, JT will not be joining us today. He is a bit busy, and, you know, Jerry and I are going to try to survive without our audio intern joining us. I think we can do it. We've done it before. Hopefully it'll be good. I have confidence in us. Yeah. You'll have to deal with my eloquent, well-spoken self. Yes, you'll, you'll, have, you'll be able to hear Jerry fully come into his incredibly articulate, most, most erudite sesquipedalian lageria. Um, we, <laughs> we, we do have a lot to talk about today. Um, I, it's to, to such an extent that I actually am not completely sure where to begin. Usually what we do is we talk about current events and then we go and talk about some historical periods or historical people and uh, kind of frame the conversation about what's going on. The thing is, there's a lot going on. Um, And, you know, just to lay down a baseline here, I am, I consider myself a pretty political person. Uh, Jerry, on the other hand, is not so much. He's not political to passively knowing (laughs) what's in the news right now. Am I right about that, Jerry? Yeah, I kind of passively know because I overhear other people talk about it yeah. and stay quiet out of awkwardness. 
Right. So, okay. I'm maybe going to draw you out of your quiet shell a little bit for discussion purposes. Uh, of course, I think anybody who's listening currently is aware that the uh, political climate at the moment is extremely tumultuous. Um, Good word. Oh, thank you. There has been a, a... It's been a very fast news week. There's one kind of big headline coming out after the other. Probably the most prominent is at the Capitol about a week ago was stormed by uh, Trump supporters who were more or less attempting to stage a violent insurrection. Uh, windows were smashed. Property was stolen. Statues defaced. Um... Uh, five people have been reported dead so far, which is extremely sad and unfortunate. And there has been, a, a, in a, on, a, on the technological front, uh, Donald Trump has had his social media suspended permanently, uh, permanently on Twitter. He's also been suspended from Instagram and Facebook. I'm not sure if it's if that's permanent or not, but Jack Dorsey has removed him from his platform. And parlor which is, was a social media overwhelmingly uh catering to the private discussions of far right fringe groups has been removed from amazon's hosting services and no longer exists on the internet presently so that has been raising a lot of questions about the discourse surrounding free speech and censorship so between you know the the free speech discussion and the insurrectionism and the partisan divisions there's just a lot of ground to cover um the historical topic that has been brought up a lot actually in in real time recently has been the war of 1812 which i think i'm is interesting that it's been being discussed a lot the reason it's being discussed a lot is because it is probably the most famous not the only instance of another time in American history when the Capitol was stormed and compromised. Jerry, tell me what you know yeah. about the War of 1812. Uh, the British burned down the White House? Yes. I believe? Yes. Uh, which, this is an interesting comparison, considering that was, you know, a foreign invading power <laughs> that did that. Right. In this case, in it's time domestic. Of war. Yes, yes, yes. Well, in an arguably time of peace. <laughs> time of, we said, quote unquote, peace. Yes, obviously there's been a time lot of. Not of <laughs> yeah. A lot of people have been talking about it, Jerry, before we started recording, you mentioned some people have been kind of um, warmongering or suggesting that the onset of the next civil war is going to be occurring with the line drawn essentially between. I guess you could say Republicans and Democrats. It would be starkly partisan rather than geographical as it was previously. Not that the geographical implications didn't underpin uh, partisan divisions as well, but it's not North versus South so much anymore. It's actually Republicans of the Trump supporting variety and pretty much Democrats, progressives, liberals, lefties, whatever you want to call them in a massive ideological division. So, the War of 1812, in the case of the White House getting burnt down, I actually love talking about the War of 1812. I think this war, it is exactly like what Jerry said, not precisely analogous, because in this case it was America versus British. There was a lot of many different things that led up to the War of 1812, and a lot of people don't really talk about it. It's one of the wars in American history, I feel like, is kind of 
I want to say overlooked. A lot of people don't know why it got started. A lot of people don't even know until recently about the burning of the White House in August of 1814. So we're going to talk, you know, to keep with the history branding of this podcast, we are going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, As usual, we're not going to be able to cover the entire topic, but we're going to lay down some rudimentary information so that you can do with this information what you will. Because knowledge is power, and we at Uncommon Sense love to imbue power into our listeners. Please be powerful. So, Jerry, you were correct about it being a war against uh, Britain and America. We know that England was America's primary adversary during the Revolutionary War. Afterwards, depending on who, who was kind of calling the shots, be it Federalists or Democratic Republicans, as we know, Federalists were more of the pro-British uh, Anglophiliac side of the political spectrum, and Democratic Republicans were a fan of France, and they did not like England. In the War of 1812, Jerry, do you know who was president during that time? Uh, that would be the third president at that point? Was not the third president. You're close. I don't know. A high or low? You're a, li- <laughs> You're a little bit low. Uh, fourth. That's right. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? You... Drop a name, try to... I I would love to, but my goodness, my brain, uh, (laughs) ugh, ugh, man. Okay, alright, okay. Well, James Madison. (laughs) It was James Madison. Listen. Yeah? It's, 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 it's a good thing I know the current president, because there's, there, there was a solid chance that... If things hadn't been going very well, I'd just be like, I think it's this guy. Well, oh, well, things sure. haven't been going very well, but if things hadn't been going. <laughs> if things had been not going at all. If time had been standing still. Yeah. Well, oh, James, my war motion, James Madison was the president at the time of the War of 1812. Um, James Madison did not like England. (laughs) Not that that was a primary cause of this war happening, but he was a Democratic-Republican president. He followed in the footsteps of Thomas Jefferson, the third president, who was also a Democratic-Republican. And the two of them shared a a camaraderie over being Francophiles and pretty much hating England's guts. Now, this is, you know, the Revolutionary War ended in 1783. So now it's, you know, the 1810s. This is, do some math. 30-odd-ish years after we had won the Revolutionary War, but just because we signed that Treaty of Paris and were able to declare our independence from England didn't necessarily mean that we no longer had any problems with England. There were still England militias, uh, squads and troops that were patrolling certain areas of America. There were a lot of trade problems that we were having with both England and France. There were problems that we were having with Native Americans occasionally allying with England. And there was also a problem with America trying and failing to ally with Canada Canada, uh, because we, you, uh, needless to say, boarded them directly south um, and were attempting to get them to join our side and ally against the England uh, forces, and that didn't go well. In fact, the Canadians said no thank you and ended up allying with the British. And this is, a, this is an important detail because it's a precursor that a lot of people don't discuss as to why the White House got burned down in 1814. The, in 1813, American troops had stormed York, the capital of Canada, and burnt down their capital buildings. And so a year later, in the summer of 1814, the burning of 
the capital of the United States. Yeah. Are, are you telling me there was a war with Canada? Canada? What? So, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that the Canadians allied with the British during the War of 1812, and we were fighting both, you know, British from the island of England and Canadians at the same time. We tried, like I said, we tried to get Canada to join the Americas. Ah, uh, good old Canada. Good old Canada. Canada. We, like, we tried to get them on our side, and then they said no, no. And we were really confident that it would happen, too. Like, all records indicate that American diplomats were operating under the certainty that Canada would think we were the coolest shit and want to join our forces, and that ended up not coming to fruition. So that definitely didn't work out in our favor. The Canadian-British stormed the capital <laughs> in 1814. Um... And, you know, the rest is history. There's so much surrounding... Isn't it all? Isn't it all? There's so much surrounding this event that, honestly, I didn't come up in, up, up in here with a plan to lay out the, the, the course of events, and I don't even know where to start. What details do you, Jerry, a person who's an unbiased, uh, you know, learning... Uneducated. Yeah, let's say that. I mean, tell me, Jerry, tell me what you need to know about this uh so like war of 1812 mm -hmm. uh what exactly sparked that was it just like the president being like hey british ain't shit get out of my land that was a big kind part of, of it there were a lot of things leading up to the war of 1812 so that was part of it so the british were kind of a it was a combination of British militias remaining in America antagonizing the states. That was one aspect. Another aspect that was big was we were having economic issues because foreign trade was being antagonized because of problems that Britain and France were having with each other. So we know that England and France historically have had problems, right? Hate each other. Hate each other. Uh, in fact, it was France's participation in the Revolutionary War against England that helped America win. And if it hadn't been for France, things probably would have turned out differently. So, you know, we are. That's that's a big reason why Democratic Republicans loved France so much is because they allied with America and helped us win the Revolutionary War. So at this point, you know, 30 odd years down the line, um, where American ships were being targeted at foreign ports by English and French trading mer merchants ships because basically like this is a little bit convoluted but what you need to know is that england said if you try to trade wait let me try and get this straight france said listen i'm gonna get this right france said they passed something i think called the order and council where they were like if you try to trade with britain we're not going to trade with you anymore so that's kind of fucked up and then England said, if we find American ships in French ports, we're going to blow them the fuck up. <laughs> so it was like, they ended up... I love how petty they all are. So petty, <laughs> to say the very least. And America was put in a situation where they just couldn't trade with anybody because no matter what direction they turned in, the other nation that they were allied with was going to turn against them. So it put our trading abilities at a standstill. Um... We knew that we couldn't do a thing where, like, some ideas that... You might think, like, okay, then let's just have America be self-contained and neutral and not have any 
trading negotiations or any affiliations with either of these powers. But during Jefferson's administration, we pretty much attempted that and it went horribly wrong in something called the Embargo Act, which basically blanketedly made America economically neutral and so that we weren't doing any economic uh, transactions with any foreign powers. It, it like so badly isolated imports that the it did horrible things to the economy and was a massive failure of economic warfare. And while president at the, the president at the time had been Thomas Jefferson, it was really James Madison, who was then the Secretary of State, that kind of birthed that idea and he had been a fan of the idea of economic warfare for much of his political career so he was the one that advised jefferson to do this it went horribly wrong jefferson ultimately took the blame because he was the president but a lot of the decisions that he made were directly in conjunction with james madison and this was one of the rare instances where madison said to do something instead of jefferson and it went uh very very poorly so that was just an example of how bad things could get if we weren't having any foreign trading with england or france then it actually it comes to fruition again, you know, in the in the during Madison's administration because of the horrible relations that England and France were having with each other. So that was another big aspect. Um, and then I think there were this is not something I'm as confident speaking about, but there were some problems with Native Americans and them allying and creating treaties and agreements with the British who were still in the American states at the time. And that was annoying American officials and causing antagonistic issues. So it's like there's Canada, there's the Native Americans, there's the foreign trade, there's British militia. And it's just like all these tensions are being raised surrounding all these problems. So in the summer of 1812, you know, James Madison was having conversations with his cabinet and with other legislators and friends in his political circle about what we should do with Britain causing so many problems for America. <coughs> so James Madison, you know, who was predisposed to hating England, was increasingly fond of the idea of going to war. And a lot of people were saying, listen, America's very young. Our military is very young. We don't have all of our ducks in a row. We only just came out of a war a couple decades ago. We don't necessarily want to repeat. Like, we can't guarantee that we're going to have, you know, France or any big power on our side. Like, it would be something that they would be doing ostensibly independently and without foreign assistance. And that could be detrimental you know, to such a, a young fledgling nation that's on its full legs still, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, does that sound like a good idea to you? <laughs> oh, definitely not the greatest idea. Yeah, not the greatest idea. War is expensive in both money and human life. Uh, ultimately, you know, James Madison got to a point where he felt that there was no other alternative. So he submitted the proposal to wage war to Congress, and it was extremely, extremely divided. And so, so narrowly did the declaration for war pass through Congress. It was the difference of like some very negligible amount of votes, like eight votes or something could have made a difference. So it was extremely split and divided. And you can trust and believe that there were massive uh, political ideological uh, turbulence 
in the nation at the time. There was even talk in the North, that, and, and to be clear, the North, the Federalist portion of America, which was overwhelmingly in the North, did not like Jefferson or Madison or any of the Democratic Republicans. And Rhode Island in particular was antagonistic towards the administration and hated the idea of sending their young men to war with England again. And they got together in a little convention and um, discussed submitting a draft of secession from the Federal Union. Um, ultimately, that didn't come to pass, thankfully, because that just would have been adding salt to the flame. But this, but, uh, you know, it's... Ah, yes. <laughs> the age-old verbiage. Salt to the flame. salt to the flame. You know... Not it's not oh, rocket surgery. <laughs> oh my god! Not the brightest hammer in the drawer. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you, you you get it. Thank you, thank you, Jerry. Thank you for your input. <laughs> that was very good. I'm sorry to derail. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, this is where the humor comes in. Listen, y'all get you get the point, right? Does this all make sense? What I'm explaining? Yeah. So basically. He was like, time for war, and everybody else was like, no. Everybody, all the other Federalists were like, no. And there were some Democratic Republicans that were like, no. And then it ended up narrowly passing anyway, and we ended up declaring war with England, and shit got started. Here's the thing. Well, the War of 1812, definitely, we were never going to win in a million years. On land, our infantry versus Canadian and British infantry, uh, shit. We won so few battles. Tactically, it went poor. Grade F. Like, we failed hard. We had a, a very strong naval record, <laughs> though, in the War of 1812. Our Navy was insane. And I definitely encourage people to research the naval accomplishments that America made during the War of 1812. And there was that, that was the only thing during that war that we were good at, to be honest. Um, the Chesapeake incident is something to look into. I haven't researched it for a while, so I even completely talk about, like, I'm not the most confident, but it was like... Um, a ship called like the um, what do you call it? The MSS, the his HMS, HMS, the HMS like Leopard or something. Actually, Jerry, you should look this up. The Chesapeake incident and see if you can report back to me about it for the War of eighteen twelve because it's a really interesting naval story. Anyway, point is, I'm rambling a lot. Our navy was strong, but our infantry was really bad. Uh, the War of eighteen twelve famously ends on a funky questionable note because uh, a young very boisterous uh, belligerent uh, military personality named Andrew Jackson kind of in the south in Louisiana bunched together this really ragtag like misfit militia that had no regularity whatsoever um, and the Battle of the New Orleans occurred under the leadership of Andrew Jackson and was won. And it was such a, it was like one of America's only victory and the most high profile American victory of the War of 1812. But it actually happened after the peace treaty had already been signed abroad. And it mail took so long back then that news of the treaty didn't come until after the battle had already been fought. So a lot of people are like, well, America won because, you know, we won the Battle of the New Orleans and that was a decisive turning point of the war. But the Battle of the New Orleans was technically fought when the war was already over. So it's like there's eh, some questions as to who actually quote unquote won the War of 1812. But that's kind of, you know, 
What do you got? So, so it says, I don't know exactly what I was looking for coming into here, but it was uh, June 22nd, 1807. Mm-hmm. This is all from Wikipedia, by the oh, way. It was 18- oh, this was before the War of 1812. Uh, yeah, but it was know. pertaining to the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. Uh, the HMS Leopard... Yeah, yeah. And the American Le- frigate USS H- Chesapeake. HMS Leopard? <laughs> yeah, the Leopard. Leopard. <laughs> okay, go ahead. It's how the British say Leopard, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Leopard. Leopard. Uh, no, but it's the HMS Leopard <laughs> and the American frigate USS Chesapeake. Frigate? Uh, is it frigate? Wait. Is it pronounced frigate? Frigate. It's not pronounced frigate? No, it's a frigate. Are you sure? I was I'm just, almost positive about that one. I was saying frigate in my brain for so long. Frigate. Oh my god, you're right, it's frigate! <laughs> Listen, right. the same thing happened the other day with a few friends in the word facsimile. Facsimile? Yeah. What did they think it was? They, they were like, it's a facsimile. And I was like, a what? <laughs> you know, a facsimile. I was like, a facsimile? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, what were you going to say? I'm sorry, we got off track here. Uh, so, the leopard pursued and attacked the Chesapeake. The Chesapeake surrendered. Mm-hmm. And because the British were looking for deserters... Yeah. ...that yeah. were now in on the USS Chesapeake... Uh, whew, they uh, captured the deserters... Yes, there were four. ...and hung one of them. Yes, yeah, there were four of them. They hung one of them. And then the commander of the Chesapeake, James Barron, mm-hmm. uh, was court-martialed and relieved of command. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, that was another problem that led up to the War of 1812, as I think about it. Uh, the British had this habit of going around to American ships. There were obviously people that were leaving the British Empire or fleeing to America to make a different life for themselves in what was ostensibly a democratic republic as opposed to a monarchy. Uh, when people did that and they kind of fared the seas as sailors and worked on ships, the British would do this thing where they would stop American ships and search the ships for s- sailors that used to be a part of the British Empire, and then capture them, and then indenture them into servitude. And that was called impressing sailors. So the British were going around doing that a lot. America was like, hey, you just can't do that. And, you know, obviously the British were like, well, we think we can. So America was mad about that, too. Like, the British just running around the the open seas, kidnapping their sailors. That wasn't cool. Um, That was another issue. Um, Let's talk a little bit more in detail about the the burning of the White House in 1814, because I think there are some interesting little factoids about that that are just kind of make the story all the more dramatic. So, um, so James Madison was out dealing with some military officials. First of all, let's just establish this about James Madison. His cabinet uh, was awful. His cabinet was awful. There were people getting fired, leaving, dying. Um, Both of his vice presidents died. Uh, James Monroe ended up having to be the Secretary of State and the Secretary of War at the same time. Uh, So there was just a lot of internal administrative problems that the president was having. And then one of them was that his Secretary of Navy, who I believe was named James Armstrong or John Armstrong. I'm not completely sure. We'll just call him Armstrong. Had like some unexplained personal problems with James Madison. And just kind of, it came came to a point in 1814 when this Armstrong guy 
kind of started neglecting his duties and just straight up lied. Like he, James Madison was saying, you know, trying to monitor the movements of the British troops, as one does during a war, right? You want to know where your enemies are at so that you can plan tactical approaches to battle, right? Makes sense. Makes sense. So we're trying to monitor the British movement. Uh, Here's the thing. Armstrong comes to Madison. I can't remember if he was, I guess he wasn't the Secretary of Navy. He might have just been the Secretary of War and then he resigned and then it was James Monroe. Listen, I'm not completely sure. He just got his Armstrong guy was important. He had to do with the military. He comes to James Madison and he's like, so uh, the the British are headed in this direction. They're not going to come to the capital. They're not going to come to the capital. Don't worry about it. And James Madison was like, okay, are you sure? And Armstrong was like, I'm telling you, they're not going to come to the Capitol, okay? Just, just, just don't worry about it. They're not coming. Trust me, just dude. Just trust me. Just trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Source, so, bro, trust me. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like a, Wikipedia, a Wikipedia page with no citations. So Madison was like, okay. And then time goes by. He's trying to figure some stuff out. He's out on his horse. He's running around being a president, whatever. And then people start coming to him and they're like, we're seeing the British... <laughs> Kind of looking like they're coming towards Washington. And James Madison turns to Armstrong and he's like, what's up with that? What's what's going on here? And Armstrong was like, I don't know. You you tell me what's going on. <laughs> and Madison obviously just couldn't really have a productive conversation with this person anymore. He gets on his horse and um, Benjamin Rush was somebody. Uh, Jerry, can you look up who Benjamin Rush is? It's like, I have all these names in my head, but I can't remember what the hell they were doing. He might have been the attorney general. He was somebody important that was close in in Madison Circle, and him and Madison were actually decent friends. Um, They rushed to check out the front lines, and this is... They rushed, huh? They rushed... Okay. Hilarious. (laughs) They rode out on their horses. Here's what I think is really fascinating about this particular thing. They go out to where the troops station to talk with the commanders firsthand because they can't they just can't trust armstrong anymore so this is little five foot four 100 pounds 60 something year old james madison who has two sidearm pistols and a horse and benjamin rush with him he's barely armed no secret service no bodyguards nothing literally goes out to the front lines and then rides with benjamin rush the two of them ride ahead of the front lines like heading into enemy territory to scope things out and then they come back and they're like yeah this is a problem the british are really close and we got to figure something out so ultimately a battle occurs at bladensburg james madison is like his horse is spooking and he can't get control of it and just everything's going wrong so he's like trying to rally the troops and tell everybody what to do and then like trying to encourage them and have them rally up to this cause and like trying to help the morale because it was so poor And then ultimately, he and the troops can't really win this battle, so they just kind of retreat. They do it, I guess, you could hardly call it a tactical retreat because it was such a mess. So they all rush away from Bladensburg, and that's kind of how the thing ends. This is why this whole story, this occurrence, is why people say that James Madison is the only, quote, commander-in-chief to actually command American military forces during war. Some people say that he fought in the Battle in the War of 1812. When you say that, you kind of imagine him with a musket and in a uniform, like joining the front lines or being a commander or something on a regular basis, like being at least that's what I thought when I first heard that little factoid. He mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't fighting in the traditional sense of an infantryman or, you know, an officer or anything like that, but he did, you could say, participate firsthand in this Bladensburg battle that ultimately ended, unfortunately, in retreat, and that's why it's called the Bladensburg races. 
So, so Benjamin Rush yeah. was the treasurer. He's the <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh god, Benjamin! Oh. For, I'm looking at it. It says former treasurer of the United States Mint, and he had 13 children. Oh. Damn, he was <laughs> busy. Richard. He was busy. Yeah. Uh, and he died during the War of 1812, actually. He died in 1813. Then how did he... Then it must have not been Benjamin Rush, because I'm pretty sure the Bladensburg races were in 1814. Who the fuck was it? Hold on. Everybody, just hold on. Just hold on. Yeah. I've got to figure something out here. Benjamin Rush died in 1813? Were the Bladensburg races not in 18... 18... I mean, I believe it. I just... He died of typhus fever. Somebody was with Madison. Hold on. Somebody was with Madison. It, I guess it wasn't Benjamin Rush. Fuck. <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna Wikipedia. Benjamin this Rush was also a doctor. Yes. Yes, I was aware that of that so at least. Alright, Jerry, you, you, what, 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 what do you want to talk about, Jerry? I gotta, read, I gotta read something real quick. You gotta stall for time for me, buddy. Uh, so... You're telling me that in this picture, mm -hmm. he just rides out there, mm -hmm. freaking. <laughs> I imagine flintlock pistols akimbo, yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like pointing them towards the British, just be like, "Yep, they're way too close." It's <laughs> back. Yeah. Also, like, imagine just being that. Like, like, not not Madison, but, like, the guy who was in charge of, like, the army. Mm -hmm. uh, just being, like, BSing his report. Just, like, just like a freaking, like, freshman English paper. Just, like, source for the British not coming this way. Oh, my God. Just believe me, yeah. Jerry, you know what's... Speaking of paper, you know what is so funny? Um, there was a, a British general who, so we didn't even get that. I said we were going to talk about the White House. I started talking about the Bladensburg race instead because it was happening like analogously. Like, it, it, but so the, okay, let's talk about the White House. I don't know who this fucking person was that was riding with Madison ahead of the front lines. Was it Walter Smith? Could have been William Jones. Ugh, God damn. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> Fuck. If anybody knows and you can find a way to contact me, go ahead and do that. If I find it before the end of the podcast, I'll let you know. So let's talk about the White House real quick. Um, so James Madison is not at the White House when the Capitol is about to get stormed because he ran out to Bladensburg, and that's what he was doing. In the meantime, Dolly Madison, the uh, the first lady of the White House, she was, uh, you know, to establish some information about Dolly Madison, a rather popular first lady. She was very social. She was taller than her husband. She was beautiful. She had porous lid white skin she was well endowed she was high all the time she carried around a snuff box and she carried around a copy of don quixote as a conversation starter she loved hosting parties i mean she was a party girl and she was much loved um and she's at the white house preparing dinner for a meeting that madison and some other officials were going to have it was an official meeting that was scheduled to happen that night so people start coming in and they're like uh mrs madison we're noticing some dangerous military activity outside of the Capitol, and we think that you should move for your safety. And Dolly was like, I'm in the middle of something, 
and I will leave when I fucking feel like it. And she kept cooking and she had her and the slaves uh, lay out the table and they got the silverware ready and they put everything on the table. And it was like, it was, a, and literally, you know, the British troops were like in arm's length away and they come up and they're like, you, you, no, you, you, you gotta go. We gotta go. It, it needs to happen. They're coming. We're going. So eventually she had to concede that there is no way she could safely stay in the capital and the British are uncomfortably, uncomfortably close to storming the place. So she starts grabbing things that she knows are important and loading them into wagons and starts to evacuate. But then she's like, oh no. I forgot something. She runs back into the White House and there's a portrait of George Washington, but I sure wish I knew off the top of my head who painted it. Hold on, let me find that out real quick. Jerry, why don't you talk about, um, why don't you talk about what you know about James Madison's childhood? James Madison was a child at some <laughs> point, I'd imagine. Yeah. As most presidents are. I think I think Gilbert when Stewart. he was a wee child. <laughs> it was Gilbert uh, Stewart, he painted it. It was Gilbert's okay, I saved you, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you had something you really wanted Thank to you. say. I was gonna be like, when he was a wee child in the the town of Britain <laughs> oh. he had dreams of Hold being on. the first American president. But he didn't get to be. It, he didn't. Oh, oh, the first. No, I'm sorry, I don't know. First American right. president. Listen, guys, if there is like, all right, I'm gonna say something. If I suddenly became inaudible, or if there's a weird skip in the audio, it's because my microphone unplugged. I don't know what that's gonna sound like, but my recorder's still going, so I'm ah, hoping for the best. Sorry. Anyway, thank you for that information, Jerry. He, he was not the first yeah. president. That's true. No, but he wanted to be. <laughs> he, he actually didn't. <laughs> uh, well, we don't know that, do we? I mean, you could be right. He could have been, and we just don't know. How can we know that? You know? Ever since he was a child, he was like, man, I'm going to be the first president in the United States. Is that... A lot of people don't realize when that. When he was a child, there was no United States. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was in the town of Britain. And the town? He, was, he really. The town of Britain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Source, dude, trust me. Jesus Christ. What the fuck was I saying? Oh, she. Okay, Dolly Madison runs into the White House, and she. There's this uh very important historical painting of George Washington by Gilbert Stewart. If you saw it, you would recognize it. It's very famous. It's very famous Americana iconography. Um, she gets and it's very big. It is a large painting. I don't know the exact dimensions, but it's it's not the Mona Lisa. Like, it's large. She literally grabs it and takes it off the wall and then breaks the frame open and then rolls up the canvas with the painting and runs out with the rolled up canvas. And she's like... <laughs> She, like, ran in just to grab that specific painting. She was, like, she had it. And just imagine you're, 
a home in your city is about to get invaded by foreign military forces that have like torches and pitchforks and you're going to try and kill and kidnap all the important people and you're the wife of the most powerful and important person in this opposite oppositional you know nas international power and your thought as you're panicking trying to leave this highly volatile violent warfront is out oh, i gotta go grab the bidding i gotta grab the bidding i wanted it i gotta get the bidding i wanted it it's very important legend legend go on girl <laughs> give him nothing <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, girl. Give us the preservation of vital American history and iconography. Go ahead, girl. Give it to us. Oh I mean, God. it's kind of like, pragmatically, it's a little bit goofy, but she's, you know, lauded all for... All snuff. All that's... Girl, you know she was high. High as balls when this was happening. That's why she was able to keep... She was, she, she was so even keeled. She was hitting up that snuff box. I'm like... Not even joking. I'm. I wouldn't be surprised at all to find out that that was the case. Anyway, that's just a fun fact for you. She saves the portrait of Washington. Um, Washington obviously wasn't around to appreciate that he was long dead, but the British come through. <laughs> the the ghost of George Washington came down from the heavens. Thank you. And then went back up. He's like, I had a falling out with your husband and resent his political ideology and sensationalized use of the press against me without my consent and a betrayal of our friendship. But thank you for saving my portrait. You know? <laughs> wow, when you, when you say it like that, he doesn't sound very grateful. <laughs> He's He was a little bit bitter... He was a little bit bitter. Him and Madison had a little bit of bad blood. Just a little bit. Not as bad as, like, the falling out he had with Jefferson and Monroe. <laughs> which <laughs> which were two separate occasions, and both of them were highly dramatic and petty and kind of funny in hindsight. But, like, him and Madison, yeah, their friendship kind of fizzled. That's a whole other subject. It, it was it's kind of sad. But, like, you know. But, but, but his wife saved the portrait. He's, it's saved the portrait, and that's that's good, right? Or is it good? Yeah, it's wife. His wife definitely had a thing for Washington. Ooh. Confirmed. Ooh. With with what? What? Is it dead Washington? Dead George Washington? She had a thing. No, no. Like back when Washington was still alive. When she was alive, and she was married to John Payne, she. Wait, he was alive. What did I say? When George Washington was alive and she was married to John Payne, she fantasized about, you know, kicking yeah. with the general. And she, when she was like 20 and he was like 60. Well, you see, her and James Madison grew up in the same hometown, Britain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's funny. And, huh? <laughs> and she had always wanted to be married to the first president of the United States. Yeah. But, and, and Madison, you know, he was always like, it's going to be me. I promise. And then it wasn't. Uh-huh. And she she never forgot. She, her, Dolly Madison's whole life was marred by her lust for Washington. For that yeah. tall, stately Virginian with the false teeth. I hear that Washington was very good at dancing. He was known for 
charming the ladies with his sick dance moves at the balls. <laughs> you don't get to be president without being able to dance. <laughs> Imagine John Adams hitting the dance floor. Holy f- I mean, I don't know if that how much that visual actually has meaning to you, because I don't know how much you know about John Adams, but to me, just to me personally, imagining John Adams trying to make the ladies swoon with his amazing dance moves is hilarious. It's a hilarious visual. You don't even know. Do you know? Uh, I don't even know. Am I, am I, so, okay, the White House burnt down, Madison leaves, and he meets up with his wife at, in, in, um, it might have been called, like, the Octagonal Inn, I don't even know, and it was kind of awkward, because a lot of people ha- hated Madison, and especially now that the Capitol burned down, they were like, you f- fucked up, and Madison, for his part, was like, wrote a letter to Armstrong, and was like, hey, um, listen, um, so, the American people are mad, and I'm not saying it's your fault that this happened, but I'm saying they're gonna want to blame somebody, and bitches, it's, it's not gonna be me. <laughs> um, and Armstrong just kind of, um, he just kind of, um, quietly resigned after that. He, like, did his damage. He, he quite literally burnt as much down as possible on the way out and, and said, all right, peace, y'all, I'm, I'm hitting the tracks, and he resigned and Wait, left. so he burned down the White House? Well, not directly, but he... La- Listen, I don't know if there is solid proof that John Armstrong knew what the British were about to do and was like, how about I just don't tell anybody and, you know, what happened happened, but I, like, I'm pretty sure that when the president comes up to you and is like, I need to know what's going on. If you're doing your job well, your response should not be, I don't know, but you tell me what's going on. I don't know. You tell me what's going on. Yeah. And if Madison- That's how he talked. I heard that. If Madison had the sense to, you know, have apprehensions about the movements of the British and the possibility that they could be retaliating for what happened in New York specifically with the US Capitol, and John Armstrong was like, no, 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 so anyway, wait. You want me to do what now? My job? Quite literally. Armstrong resigned. Uh, America is upset and mad, and you know the capital is in shambles, which sucks because we don't have, you know, it wasn't easy to build things. It's still not easy to build things. It takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of labor. And um, yeah, It took a lot of forced labor to build it that. It took a lot house. of sleep. <laughs> Jesus. Quite literally. And now that's all in ashes so you would be upset too. I would, I would be upset. I would be upset. I would be upset if I were James Madison. I would be upset if I were an average American citizen. I'd be upset if I was a Federalist. I'd be upset if I was a Democratic Republican. It was just very upsetting. Um, everybody's so, upset now. Everybody's upset. Everybody's sad. So those are so. That's you know. That's, Way to go, Britain. Yeah. 
You made us oh. sad. Oh my god, Jerry, earlier you said something about the papers, and I was gonna be like, oh, speaking of papers, and then I completely said nothing about papers. This is what I was gonna say. Um, when the British invaded the capital, there was a British commander named Cockburn, and he... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he went to... How unfortunate! I know! So he went to, like, the printing center, the printing office, the printing press, whatever, in D.C., and told his men to destroy all of the C stamps for the alphabet, like, of the alphabetical... I don't know what the proper terminology is for those things that you use to dip in ink and then print the papers. But he said, get rid of all the C's. I want all the C's gone so that the press can no longer make fun of my name. So they destroyed all of the C's. They could no longer say Cockburn. They oh my god. Had to say Ockburn. Instead of Cockburn. General but his Cockburn. name was Cockburn. Yeah. So, oh wait, it would, be it, Ockburn? It, was, it would be Ockburn with no C. It would just be OK Burn. <laughs> Oh, his name wasn't Cockburn. It was Cockburn. What do you mean? Was it not? Wait, his name was actually Cockburn, so it... he just didn't like his name? No, he's he... like He's like a petulant grade schooler? The press kept making fun of the name Cockburn. So he went to the printing press and told his troops to destroy all of the C's. So they couldn't spell his name anymore. So they couldn't make fun of him. Why? You look, you look confused. <laughs> I don't want them saying my name! He didn't want them making fun he's of his like, name. He's like a petulant grade schooler. Isn't that close to home? Don't we know of somebody like that? His name was George Cockburn, to be thorough. I just looked it up. George. He just wanted to be called George. Uh... We don't want to not be thorough when it comes to Mr. Cockburn. <laughs> no, we want to give Cockburn, you know, all due respect. Oh my god. I wouldn't be surprised if that story isn't entirely true, because a lot of these historical anecdotes are, you know, sensationalized or whatever, but I've never heard anybody say that it's apocryphal, what he told them to do, so hopefully, I mean, <laughs> it's funny, I hope it happens. It's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Mr. Cockburn. So yeah, so you mean so even Ockburn, George Ockburn. So you know, as a little to recapitulate here, uh, you know, the War of 1812 starts, impressed sailors, British um, invasiveness, uh, economic trading turmoil, bad relations with the Canadians and the Native Americans, and then. Um, you know, bad employees in the federal government. Washington um, gets rescued from the White House. The British come and burn it down. And that's, that's, those are the details. Some details for you about what kind of led up to the White House being burned down on August 24th, 1814. Is there anything I'm missing here as a, as the person who is learning, Jerry? Is there anything you would like to know? Any questions? Everything sounds right to me. <laughs> right, okay. There's nothing confusing, nothing you need clarifying. Uh, I'm just glad Washington made it out in one piece. Oh, yeah, we're so happy. I was worried. Me. I was on the edge of my seat. I was on the edge of my seat about Washington's painting. 
Um, the you know what's upsetting t to me. Well, there's a lot of upsetting things about this story. Just an additional random detail I thought of. So the library in the White House obviously got burnt down, and all those books were destroyed. So Thomas Jefferson from Monticello was like, "Oh, that sucks," and he <coughs> he um, had you know ten thousand odd books himself, so he donated them to the library. He was like, "I'm old, and I'm not going to read these before I die." And I really like James Madison. He's my best friend, so I'm gonna give these books to you so you can restock the library. What a bro. What a bro. And you know who else was a bro? Surprisingly enough, uh, John Adams was kind of a bro. John Adams and James Madison never were friends. They never had a good relationship. I think John Adams was kind of... Uh, well, there's a lot of words you can use to describe John Adams. I don't think he was aware of like how much James Madison fucking hated him like james madison despised john adams and john adams was on and off best buds with thomas jefferson so th sometimes thomas jefferson would be like no 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 no. like yes yes he's annoying he's erratic he's emotional he's insufferable he's all these bad things but 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 if you got to know him i'm telling you madison you would love him i just love him he's just so lovable he's such a big teddy bear and james madison was like yeah okay whatever um, and then, you know, John Adams, I don't want to start this whole other conversation about the foreign relation issues that John Adams had during his administration, but his administration, there was a lot of problems with the French and the British alike, and there was the XYZ affair was a, a, a famous kind of incident that happened with American diplomats having a confrontation with French diplomats. Anyway, um, th the point is, the U.S. was on the verge of war during Adams' administration, too, but he kind of, like, just barely avoided that coming to fruition. So then during James Madison's administration, when, like, Rhode Island and the rest of the Federalists in the North were mad about James Madison declaring war, they were like, even a fucking idiot like John Adams wouldn't have let this happen, and now look what's going on. If John Adams could avoid war, then why can't you, you little bitch? And John yeah. Adams, yeah, truly. Oh, the press was brutal to James Madison, obviously. I'm not saying he deserved it or didn't deserve it, but ooh, boy people did not james madison was not the most popular president during the war of 1812 so john adams actually wrote james madison a letter and said hey look i just want to let you know i wholeheartedly approve of what you're doing i am so sick of britain just doing fuck all whatever it wants and thinking it can get away with it like despite everybody saying that john adams did a good job at least in in avoiding war with any you know foreign powers he wrote actually a letter in solidarity to somebody who he never had any kind of friendship with just to let him know that he was he was supportive of the whole thing and i i just think that's an interesting funny little thing um Ultimately, at the end of the War of 1812, we left, we, we had it on a good note, um, because, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Andrew Jackson led us to victory in the Battle of the New Orleans. By then, the treaty had already been signed, but um, because we kind of had this, uh, you, could, you could say, sort of posthumous victory, um, America was feeling rather jaunty and good about itself. And in a way, the War of 1812 solidified America as... A, a nation as opposed to just the idea of a nation because it showed that it could hold its own in, 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 in you know, a, a crisis against other large powers. That's not to say that a large reason that the war didn't continue was because England was increasingly pressured by France to pay attention to that crisis that they were having with that power if it hadn't in a way france helped america yet again because they were having their own foreign relation issues and waging war with england so 
Britain and France, you know, Britain had to direct so much of its attention towards France that it said, okay, you know what, let's just, we, we don't have time. We don't have time to deal with this. We don't have the resources. We have to pay attention to other things. So, you know, that was important for the war coming to an end too. But America nonetheless felt pretty good about itself because it gave rise to this birth of unprecedented nationalism and this huge sense of unity and like, yeah, we did it. We survived a war. We didn't get any of the concessions that we wanted and like nothing is different. But and like we didn't win hardly any infantry battles, but we're still here. We're still America. England didn't we're take still us back. Kicking. We're still kicking. We have like two less legs, but we're still alive. So this is, you know, we now had a national anthem, the economy starts booming, everybody feels felicitous, James Madison is like, alright, you know what, I'm done. He leaves on a good note, he leaves as a, relative, a relatively popular president because of this, like, nationalism uh, emergence, and then James Monroe comes in, he has an amazingly popular reputation and a happy administration, and America is pretty much good again until the lid blows off with slavery in the 18... 40s, 50s, and then the Civil War. I mean, slavery was always a problem. Obviously, always an enormous problem, but it, it really, until Zachary Taylor's administration, it was kind of patted down. We had the Missouri Compromise, we had the Nebraska-Kansas thing, and then, well, the Nebraska-Kansas thing became a huge problem in, like, the 1850s. I'm gonna start, start getting off into a whole new topic. The point is, War of 1812 ends, and we're kind of good again, and then another issue comes up, you know, a little while later, and we have to deal with that, but, okay. So that's that's a very uh, that's a very packed summary of some things we covered the Chesapeake, the White House burning down, and all that. What do you think, Jerry? What are your thoughts? Uh, it sounds like a lot of like old timey politicians and like generals were all very petty. Oh, yeah. Oh, humans have always been like this. Yeah, people have always been like this. It is not new. I get annoyed when people are like, oh, you know, back in the day, back in the good old times, people had decorum. People spoke to each other with respect. People knew where to meet. No, no, bitch. You had generals lying, people going by each other's back, calling each other whores in the papers, publishing things anonymously, people beating each other on the heads with canes on the Senate floor. Things were never like things were never that good. <laughs> We were always awful and petty, actually. I firmly believe that. But that's just my take. What's your take? What do you think, Jerry? What do you think? Uh, I think that this was a very interesting episode, and I'm glad to have been a part of it. Oh, that's good. Uh, I got to learn some things. I learned that one of our presidents rode out flintlocks akimbo, to meet the British and see what fuck shit they were up to. Yeah. Can you imagine? Can, can we name this? Can, can we can we name this episode Flintlocks Akimbo? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be the name. Anyway, yeah, we're at about an hour now. Um, I feel like next week maybe we'll cover some more things about like freedom of speech. We can talk more about John Adams because um, the Alien and Sedition Acts were uh, a president said over kind of what the federal government has dominion over when it comes to that First Amendment, and because that is such a big talking point right now with things like Parler and social media gone, there's a lot we can talk about. But, you know, my word to the wise about what's going on in current events, you know, because we talked about the War of 1812 and how it relates, 
all I can say is, uh, whatever your beliefs, try to be on the right side of history. That's what I, that's kind of my mantra that I repeat to myself all the time. I feel confidently that I am on the right side of history. I guess pretty much everybody does, or maybe they don't. I don't know. But, um, yeah, don't, uh, my advice is, uh, don't uh, don't converge on social media about slaughtering political opponents or assassinating politicians or staging a violent coup d'etat. I don't think those things are advisable. We don't. They don't think they're good. They just don't think they're good. That's my personal opinion. Is that where I'm coming from? Jerry, Listen, we're all just humans trying to make it through this world. Yeah. So be a goddamn human being, not like some kind of garbage animal. Quite. Yes. Thank you, Jared, for surmising very eloquently my thoughts exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I've been told I'm very eloquent. You're very eloquent. I'm sure. At uh, some point. Very eloquent, and I love having you here. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Uncommon Sense. Let's uh, spill all the tea right now. Uh, should I go first? Uh, that makes sense to me. Well, what do you think? Did I have a lemonade with a bug in it or not? I feel like that's happened to you in the past. I feel like that's too, like, commonplace to have not happened to you. I ordered a lemonade and then realized there was, like, the lower half of, like, a stink bug or something in there. And I, like, fished it out. And I was like, should I drink it or not? Should I? And then I did. I did drink it. And I spent money on it, so I drank it. Like, I, I got the bug out. The bug corpse, I got it out. And then I subsequently drank it. Is that so wrong? No. You paid money for that. I did. I, I would say it would be that. wrong to not drink it. Yeah, thank you. You're always supporting me. Alright, what was your thing? Indeed. Uh, I helped Zagreus escape from the underworld. And that's true. And didn't you? Sorry, I just told you. <laughs> yeah, you didn't let me guess. I mean, I, I was gonna, I was gonna guess that it was true. I mean, yeah, I don't lie very often. Uh, I've been playing a new game. Well, new to me. It's called Hades, and it's a lot of fun. And you play as Zagreus, oh. and I beat it. Nice. So I escaped from the underworld. Is it a PC yeah. game? Uh, it is a Swanch game, the Nantandan Swanch. I don't know what those words are, but I believe you. The Switch, the Nintendo Switch. Oh, oh, okay. Thank you. Do you want to confuse a PC game? It's a Swatch like game. Yeah, yeah, it's a Swatch game. Uh, I, yeah, I am yeah. also a PC gamer for the most part. However, I do have a Switch, and I did get this for said Switch. Jerry does occasionally Swatch. I yeah. Swatch from time to time. Swatch. All right, well, on that note, thank you everybody so much for listening. This has been Uncommon Sense. Tune in next week where we're going to talk about something. I don't know what. Uh, we appreciate your listenership. And uh, go out there, be safe, wash your hands, stay inside, snuggle cats, be smart. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Hmm. Hmm.